continuing our study uh, through Hebrews, and we've come almost to the end of chapter 2. And what I want to do this morning is read again from verse 10 through verse 12, as verse 12 will be the, the topic of our study this morning. And uh, we see that going into verse 10, we've talked about Christ as the last, the final, the only authority, the only word of God, He being the only one through whom God speaks. And then as we move to Hebrews chapter 2, we see a warning to heed and to stay close to the message of the gospel, the message that we've heard that has brought salvation. And then we move uh, again into chapter 2 a little further with verse 5 as it describes Christ as being one who is preeminent one who is eternal one who is far superior to the angels and then it's also showing his humanity and how he is for a little while made lower than the angels and then we see uh, the glorious news of christ bringing many sons to glory with verse 10 it says for it was fitting for him for whom all are things whom are all things and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified, all are from one Father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And that is the focus uh, that we will... Uh, look at this morning the focus is verse 12 there but before we go any further let's go to the Lord in prayer uh, Father God as we come before you Lord we come as uh, men and women of unclean lips Lord men and women who are full of sin and we come before you because we know that Jesus Christ is the only uh, offering that can cover these multitude of sins. God, He is the only one in whom we may find forgiveness and reconciliation. And because of the marvelous truths that we have seen of Jesus Christ in His Word, in Your Word, God, we come before You in, in a sure hope, in a trust, and in a, a certain belief that He alone is sufficient sacrifice for these sins, Lord. And we lay them at Your feet, Lord, trusting that You would Forgive them as you have promised. And Lord, we praise your name for being the great God of heaven who created all that is created and who has uh, come with forth with this plan of redemption that it be through Jesus Christ and through no one else, Lord. And we ask that you would give us the ability not to stray from the gospel but to discern the spiritual truths and the nature of Jesus Christ as we read this word or that we may live by it, that we may be doers of the word. Or that we would not just hear and admit, but that we would submit to the Word, submit to the authority that is Christ, uh, insofar as that we may be uh, made like Him, that we may be sanctified. God, and we come asking You to sanctify us this morning, Lord, to make us more holy than we were yesterday, Lord, to give us a great desire uh, to be in Your Word and to uh, sup with Christ. Lord, may we cast all our cares upon Him and may we trust in him and would you cause us to increase in love for one another and love for your word god and bless us this day and receive our worship and glory and honor and praise it's in jesus name that we pray amen i will proclaim your name to my brethren in the midst of the congregation i will sing your praise 
Thus far, we have seen from verses 10 and 11 a glimpse of all of the parties who take part in salvation. From verse 10, we have the first hymn, it says, for it was fitting for him. And here it is, uh, a glimpse of the Father, the sovereign God, Lord over all creation, for whom are all things and through whom are all things made. He is the God who brings many sons to glory as we see following that particular scripture it says uh, which speaks secondly of sons it first says him being god the father and then the sons this being the church the bride of the only begotten jesus christ who is thirdly described this jesus christ as the author of their salvation so here we have salvation condensed it includes three parties so to speak and really there is a fourth because we have a, a triune God who is applying the truths of Christ. But it is Him for God, for the all-eternal, uh, ever-existing one God of the Bible. For Him are all these things to happen. And it is to bring many sons, the church. Uh, and to do that, He uses Christ, the author of salvation. And in order that those things may be discerned, He uses the Holy Spirit. So there we have uh, those things revealed to us just in that one verse, the triune God, the subject of salvation, the author of salvation, the one whom all the glory is given, the one whom is over everything. And then we have this Savior, this Messiah, who is this author of salvation, he being God, he being the monopoly on salvation for no one. And that means no one, not anyone ever, has ever, will ever, will be saved apart from the work and the will of God in Jesus Christ. Then we begin with verse 11 where it says, For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. We looked over this verse last week and we studied it. And what we see is uh, a putting into perspective for us this great mystery that, that is true and that is effectual concerning man and God and the Savior, Jesus Christ, who is of both natures, being both man and God. The truth was that the only God-man, Jesus Christ, has served as the fulfillment of the obligations set before man by God, whereby we have seen man eternally and fatally always failing and then Christ comes because man is always failing man is unable man is unwilling on his own to do what God has created him to do and then Christ comes in the likeness of man according to Philippians chapter 2 verse 7 he is fulfilling all righteousness where man could not in Matthew chapter 3 verses 13 through 15 and then as we know the pinnacle of the glory of Christ the greatest work he suffers as a man dies as a man bears the sin of man and then Christ rises as he is God he conquers death because he is eternal and he imputes righteousness the righteousness of God to man he ascends into heaven as God he intercedes as man and as God he is resurrecting the future, the church, uh, giving new bodies to those and bringing sons to glory. This being 
the true and only glory of sinful man because it is the glory of God. This is now a once sinful man being reconciled to God and through the redemption and through the consummation being resurrected and according to those things receiving this glory that only belongs to God. For all of this There can be one word that sums up every bit of this, and that is redemption. Redemption. There is in redemption inherent justification. For we must be restored. We must be justified if we are to be redeemed. If there is redemption, then there is also sanctification. Taking what is unholy and setting it apart, making it holy. And there is also reconciliation. There is also glorification. All of this inherent in redemption. And it's all made possible by Jesus Christ as He does every one of these works. Every one that is necessary for salvation and for redemption, that being justification, sanctification, reconciliation, glorification. Christ does it all. Man does nothing. In fact, man opposes everything by his nature. Man is the one who needs to be justified because he's not just. The man is the one who needs to be sanctified and set apart because he's part of the world, because he's unholy. Man is the one who needs reconciliation because he has been separated from God. And man is the one who has no glory except if it be in Christ. Therefore, Christ makes these things possible. It's only by Jesus Christ. He makes us partakers in His divine nature. Let me read the summary of these things as they're defined for us in Colossians chapter 1, verse, beginning with verse 9. It says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father which He hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins." Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by Him were all things created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in Him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of His cross by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself, by Him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath He reconciled in the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and un blameable and unreprovable in his sight. The first portion 
beginning with verses 9, describes all of the things that man needs but he has not because of his own nature. And then the rest of the paragraph is spent describing how Christ makes all of that possible. How he takes the alienated and he reconciles them to God. How he takes enemies and makes them brethren. How he saves men. Quite simply, there's nothing we can do. We are helpless without Christ. And yet, the word this morning says that I will proclaim your name to my brethren. He is not ashamed to do these things. And yes, even Christ in the midst of the congregation will sing the praise of God. What we see is all belong to this one Father, as it says in verse 11. The Father God, who is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And then we arrive at the text in verse 12. For the reasons mentioned thus far, Christ is not ashamed to call the church brethren. Why? Because Christ has chosen who to save. Christ has been the sacrifice. Christ has willingly died. Christ has willingly forfeited what was needful for him to become man. And then he has willingly given his life so that we may have life in his name. Christ is unashamed because it is his will. Why is it Christ's will? Because Christ is doing the will of God the Father. They cannot be separated. Therefore, what he does, he does without shame because it is his will. And that's what we see. How can Christ... Be unashamed of sinful man. How can Christ do all that is described here and yet remain without shame? Because first and foremost, all of these things are the will of God the Father. It is pleasing in His sight to do this. Secondly, Christ may be unashamed for these things because they're accomplished through the death and resurrection and the willingly giving himself up and by him alone may he bring sons to glory and by him alone may honor and glory be ascribed to God on high for all of these things place God in his rightful high place, highly exalted above men, above angels, above all creation. Therefore, if these seemingly lowly actions, this shamefulness that he bears, if it brings glory to God, then it is good. Through all things, he will reign supreme. No man is able to hinder nor sever God from the glory due his name. It's simply an inability of man. He is the only sovereign God. He will not sleep as the false gods. He will not die as the false gods. He will not be mocked as will false gods. And he will not be denied. His will shall be done. His will on earth, as it says in Matthew, as it is in heaven. It shall be done. From everlasting to everlasting, God's will, without shame, without reproach, without questioning, without a plan B or without a plan C, God's will is being done. And verse 12 paints a wonderful picture 
of Christ's model for believers. Christ is not ashamed because this is his plan. He then quotes Psalm chapter 22, verse 22. We know that Psalm 22 is uh, inevitably and most certainly describing the Savior and the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and he quotes it. It begins like this. Let me read the entire thing. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far help from helping me and from the words of my roaring? O oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season am I not silent? But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee. They trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee, and they were delivered. They trusted in thee, and were not confounded. But I am warm. I am no man. I am a reproach of men, and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh, and they scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that He would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have encompassed me, strong bulls of Bashan, and have beset around me. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax that is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have encompassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots for my vesture. But be not far thou from me, O Lord. O my strength, haste thee to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise thee. Ye that fear the Lord, praise him, all ye the seed of Jacob. Glorify him and fear him, all ye the seed of Israel. We see without a doubt this is speaking of Jesus Christ and it is a quote here. It says, I will proclaim your name to my brethren. It was declared in the prophets before Christ had ever taken upon himself human flesh. And here we have this verse 22 from the psalm being quoted as it describes what Jesus Christ is doing in the life of the church and in the life of the brethren. Look at verse 22. The psalmist speaks of a need for deliverance. And this is most assuredly a need for salvation. He's crying out to the Lord, Do these things for me, O Lord. You're the only one able. Please, Lord, are you listening? This isn't just a cry for temporal help. In fact, it isn't at all that. But it is speaking of a spiritual need. A spiritual cry for the help from the only one who is spirit. 
and that is God. And every man since, except Christ, stands in need of perfection and righteousness. This is what Jesus has done upon the cross of Calvary. Deliver my soul, it says. An intricate look at eternal man. Yes, man will live for eternity somewhere. His soul is destined for some place, whether it be heaven with Jesus Christ in the presence of the Lord, or whether it be hell apart from God, separated from God, no goodness, nothing but weeping and gnashing of teeth, fire that is never quenched. And here it is, the desperate call for eternal man. Here is the look at the wages of sin. For man must go somewhere. Deliver my soul, it says. Save me from the lion's mouth. Sin has encompassed me. That's really the message. Sin is all about. Sin is seeking me out. Sin is the reality this morning that we are combating. This is the message from Psalm 22. Sin is looking to devour you and I. The answer is, I need Jesus. You need Jesus. Everyone who seeks not to be devoured must escape only through Jesus Christ. I need all that He has to impute to me. For only this will reconcile my sinful flesh to God Almighty. Who here has cried out those words, I need Jesus? For who here is this a reality? Who here daily pleads the application of Christ's merit toward their aberration against God? Are we proclaiming today, church, that hell was in fact our destination and sin was the wind and the waves upon upon which my course was plotted? And then we cry out, we need Jesus, and then... We have this anchor who is in heaven. The anchor who is Jesus Christ. Is this the reality of our salvation? Is this the reality upon the foundation in which we are born again? Jesus Christ and His merit. I will declare your name to my brethren. Christ is declaring the name of God. The name of God that is not simply an arrangement of syllables or consonants, an arrangement of letters, but the name of God that describes His inherent attributes. His message was that you know not the God that you claim to serve because you have not His Son, but the God who has sent His only begotten Son. The Jews didn't understand this. He's saying, I'm claiming, I'm proclaiming your name, not just God, but all that you are. I'm claiming your person to the people who say that they believe you. The people who must believe in me if they're to know you. This is the God whom I am proclaiming. To have one, either the Father or the Son, is to have the other. And to be ignorant of one is to be completely ignorant of the other. Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Christ, in this way, is proclaiming the name of God. 
He's proclaiming the will of God. He's proclaiming the goodness of God, the justice of God, the magnificence of God. And of course, all for the glory of God, the honor, the justice, all of which are attributes of God. And we've seen these in the weeks past as they've been described. All of these unique to one who is named God to his persons, three and one, the true God of heaven, of this God, Christ is proclaiming. He proclaims such a name to whom? The answer is there in verse 12. I proclaim your name to whom? My brethren. It says, I proclaim your name to my brethren, the brethren of Christ. This is why the word is so powerful for what we are about to see. Christ is announcing God. He's proclaiming God. He's testifying of God to his brethren. How do we know if we're the brethren? Well, they're defined in the Gospels for the first time in Matthew. It's in Matthew chapter 12, verse 47 through 50. It says, Then one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to speak with thee. But he answered and said unto him that told him, Who is my mother and who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. So here we have it. I will proclaim your name to my brethren. I will proclaim your name to those whosoever will do the will of my Father who is in heaven. For these are the brethren. We must quickly ask ourselves, how can a man do the will of God that is in fact contrary to man's own will? How can sinful man do the will of righteous God? To oppose his nature, how can these things be so? How can we do the will of the Father who is in heaven? The answer is what Jesus said. We must be born again. We must be born from above. Not a work of mortal mind, not a work of mortal desire, nor a deed, nor a lineage of earthly matter, since all are from Adam and are a great sinner. But the truth is revealed in John chapter 7. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking of my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, You have a demon. Who is, work, who is seeking to kill you? And Jesus answered, I did one work, and you all marveled at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision, so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with righteous judgment. How can one be a doer 
of God's will, and then of course to follow suit, how can he be a brethren to Jesus? That's the question that we ask. Well, the answer is in the question. How can one be a doer of God's will? We must be doers and not hearers only. James chapter 1 verse 22. For if we are only to hear the word and not respond with action, we are in fact self-deceived. That is to say that when we think ourselves to be religious, but in fact we are not because we only hear and do not do. But the greater truth is that we are doers who are enabled to do by the Spirit who lives within. At regeneration and faith, there is the truth that the Word of God has become a reality that is no longer a mystery because we're not according to the natural man. It is no longer a mystery, but instead it is a revelation of God who is, who was, and is to come. It's a revelation, and it's a revelation of who God in fact is. Simply put, we are brethren because God has shown himself through his word and by his son and applied these truths by the power of the Holy Spirit. By his good pleasure alone have we come to see that sin is unrighteousness and that Christ is perfect righteousness. Whereby we now have come full circle in the Hebrews uh, till this point so far. That is to say that we have seen who we are in Christ and that by his good pleasure these things are done. And we saw that in the beginning of chapter 1 where we came to understand that God only speaks through his Son who is heir of all things, who is not only heir of all things but is creator of all things. And it must not end with Christ's proclamation of the Father for we too are to declare the truth of who God is. So what we have there is that we are able to become brethren because of what Christ has done, because of the work of Christ, by the Spirit of Christ, by the truth, by the Word. And then we see all of those things are apparent because of what the first part of chapter 1 says, that God speaks through His Son. All the way back to chapter 1, verse 1. But like I said, it doesn't end simply with being brethren and Jesus proclaiming the name of God and the full counsel of God and praising God in the midst of the congregation. No, that's not where this message ends. We're disciples. We're called to follow Jesus. We're called to have the like mind of Christ. The same attitude of Christ. We are called to also proclaim the name of God to the brethren. Not only to the brethren, but to the unbelieving world we're to proclaim who God is and what He has done in the person of Jesus Christ. For these are those very feet who are to bring good news. News of salvation. News of the Messiah. News of the Son of God who is both man and God. News of remission for sin. News of completion and goodness that comes only from God. News of the intimate knowledge that we have come to know about who God is and His persons. We are to do likewise what Christ has done in verse 12. If you would, turn a few pages back to John chapter 17. 
We'll begin with verse 6. Here we see the reality of what is written in verse 12. I will proclaim your name to my brethren. Verse 6 says, I have manifested your name to the men who you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me I have given to them and they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you and that they believed that you sent me. Ask on their behalf, I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me. And I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. But now I come to you in these things. I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy, and my joy made full in themselves. I have given given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of this world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me I have just given to them, and they may be one, just as we are one, I in them, you in me, that they may be perfected. In unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me. For you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have made your name known to them and I will make it known so that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. He begins with saying that he has declared who God is and he ends with saying, I have made your name known so that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. What a great reality of the intimate knowledge of who God is. This knowledge that has been imparted to us by the Spirit. In the midst of the congregation, it says, I will sing your praise. There are several points that we may deduce as Christ has first declared the name of God. And then because of the declaration of who God is, the praises ring out. The praises go up. There are Uh, several things that we take. First, we see the dual nature of Christ, as we know from chapter 1. We see His deity there. And then as we move here, we also see that Christ was physically present with the church, as He states, in the midst. 
I will proclaim your name to my brethren in the midst of the congregation. Here's the humanity of Christ, him being with the disciples, him being with those who are the foundation, the beginnings of the church. There is Christ in their midst. The first example of congregation, if you will. Christ has come in the flesh and now he is still remaining even today. And he remains today in spirit now, for the Comforter has been sent for those who trust and those who believe and those who have true faith in Christ, saving faith. He is also taking up complete and permanent residence. At this very same Christ that we see here is seated at the right hand now, the majesty on high. Next, it must be apparent that the congregation is of disciples. A congregation of true believers, not outsiders, not visitors, not unregenerate, but the true church here is those who believe in Christ unto salvation. That is even to include you and I today. But this was reserved for those who truly believed. And it's represented today by the true church. Not the local church with their pen and paper uh, and, and the rolls. And it's not the the local church simply with a digital roster of who normally attends or who gives. It's not that. But this is the church universal. This is the church that is invisible. This is the church that is eternal. This is which is the church of spirit and of truth. For this reason, we may see Matthew chapter 26 in a new light. Beginning with verse 26, it says, While they were eating, Jesus took some bread. And after a blessing, he broke it and gave to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when the disciples had taken, uh, when he had taken the cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, excuse me, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. For the forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Here is the first account of the fulfillment of the statement made in verse 12 from Hebrews chapter 2. This is it. In the midst of the congregation... Here is the first account. I do not believe that this is the first time that Christ has sung a hymn. That's not what I'm saying. For to do so would to have been culturally practiced and it would have been normal and it would have been accepting and it would have been uh, part of everyday worship to sing. But here is the first time when we're given a glimpse into this and this is the first time where we see a congregation, so to speak. However, this is also the first instance where the brethren are noted as brethren. Up until then, we see disciples, followers, students, so to speak. But here is the first evidence of the brethren, as they are noted. Here, uh, during the ordinance that is given to the church, an ordinance that still stands today, Christ is in all ways, in this point in time, as we will look at this, Christ, according to Matthew chapter 26, is, is in all ways like man. He's offering worship. He's offering worship to God. And he's doing so through song. 
He's leading the way that all men should follow. Christ has been perfect. Be ye perfect. Therefore, as I am perfect, Christ is offering praise and glory and honor to God. He's praying as man should do, as the church should do. He's offering this, this hymn at this time, just as the church is to do today. Singing isn't our only worship. But it's a form of worship. It's an acceptable worship before God. Our lives are the living sacrifice that is our spiritual worship, the way that we live. We see Christ glorifying the name of our great God. The praise is that the sovereign God has kept His word. That God has done what He has set out to do. Therefore also shall he always remain the only truth. Therefore he is the only one worthy of worship and praise. Keeping with such his attributes. For they are only his. And they belong only to him. Therefore praise is lifted up. Lastly as a side note. Let's look at this congregation. What exactly has taken place. Is this place. Is the church a place for the unregenerate? By its very definition, it is not. What is the true church? After all, we just read that Judas was even there in those very same passages. But John 13, I believe, will settle this matter. So so that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Asking who will betray Jesus. Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. Now remember, we're looking, Jesus is proclaiming the name of God to his brethren, those who are now affiliated with Christ, who are in the family of God. And then in the midst of the congregation, it says he will sing his praise, and we're looking to this first congregation where men are are called the brethren of Christ, the first occurrence, and Judas is there. What did Judas do? Apparently, Judas was there. But I'll say that he was actually there just before. At first glimpse, it doesn't seem clear as to whether Judas partook or not of the Lord's Supper. What we can be sure of is if we know or know not whether Judas partook, if Judas did partake, in fact, he partook and drank and ate judgment to himself. But we would see that after receiving the morsel, it says that he immediately left. Now, if you, it's this great debate among some people whether Judas partook or not. And it really does matter. Personally, I believe that Matthew further supports the, that the congregation was made up only of true believers. And here's why. Uh, it's only made up of true believers, and of course that would mean that Judas was in fact 
absent because it says in verse 30, after singing, they went out to the Mount of Olives. That would include the entire party. Guess what? Judas wasn't there. We see that Judas later came to the Garden of Gethsemane. He later kissed Christ to mark Him. Judas did not offer praise and worship. And I don't believe that Judas partook. One thing that I will say here is that the, the warning from Scripture is that we examine ourselves before we partake. But notice that Christ is administering this ordinance. He's administering the blood, the body with the bread. And he makes sure that what Judas is doing is done before this happens. Not only is it inherent and important that we look to ourselves and examine ourselves before we partake, but it is the responsibility of the church and the leaders of the church to our best of our abilities to be sure that we do not offer to the unregenerate what belongs to the brethren. We are to guard the table to the best of our ability. Will we fail? Absolutely. But did Christ fail? Absolutely not. Christ did not offer this to Judas it implies that they all went out and Judas we know did not therefore we have a perfect picture of a praising congregation this praising that it says in the midst of the congregation I will sing your praise this is what Christ is doing this is what he is doing with the brethren the first so to speak congregation the first church if you will those who will even now become the church because they too have proclaimed the name of God. They too are singing the praises. This is our responsibility, church. If the church is to continue, we must proclaim the great news of God, the great message of Jesus Christ. Here is the perfect picture. This is the true believers in Christ. These are those whom we know to be the bride and the body of Christ today. Christ and His bride of one accord, one purpose, to bring praise and honor to God on high. Why is Christ unashamed to call them brethren? Because what Christ has done in saving sinful man is He has multiplied, He has increased exponentially the praise and honor and glory that is given to God. So as we read this particular passage, we recognize that Christ is not ashamed because what He did is the will of God and what He has done announces and increases the glory of God. How can Christ do this? Because Christ is God. This is His will. But likewise, Christ is man. Man is created to glorify Man is created to worship. So in all things, what do we have when we look back to verse 12 and we look back through chapters 1 and 2 of Hebrews that we have read thus far? We see the repeated order, Christ as prophet, priest, and king. Christ as prophet, proclaiming the name of God. Christ as priest, as He administers to the congregation as he is leading the congregation and Christ as king receiving the exaltation of man for the work that he has done on the cross that leads the church to do what exactly we see here. Proclaiming 
God, proclaiming Christ, proclaiming the gospel, and singing praise. If there's any wonder today how Christ can do these things, it is because Christ is Almighty God. Christ has existed eternally. And if we wonder those things, it's probably a good thing because we're seeing the sin that is beset in man, the sin that is inherent in man, the sin nature that we cannot overturn. But the truth is that God has sent His Son, Jesus Christ. There is no other name under heaven among men by which we must be saved. He is the only way. We must call out to Him. And in calling out to Christ and seeing our sin and receiving salvation and receiving all that God has to give that is good for man, we also see that He is worthy of praise. He is worthy of glory. He is worthy of honor. For this reason are we brethren. It's not simply that we would have eternal life, but that the message would be we are preaching against sin and we're preaching for Christ so that man may do what he was created to do. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come before you again, Lord, we just thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the many blessings that we receive that are temporal, but most of all, Lord, we thank you for the spiritual blessings, the truth of Christ, the that we may rely on Him, that we may trust in Him, that He has uh, and always led man to do what we are to do before You, Lord. If we call ourselves true disciples, if we call ourselves Christians, if we call ourselves men and women of God, it must be because we are following the model that is Christ. Lord, we ask that according to Your greatness and Your mercy that You would forgive us of our sin, Lord, but we also ask that You would deliver us from sin, Lord, that you would allow us to put off the corruptions of the flesh, that we would proclaim your name amongst the brethren, or that we would offer our praises in the midst of the congregation. And Lord, we also pray that the congregation of this local church may not be small, or that it would be increased and that it would be mighty according to your will, or that many would come to know you that the truth of this passage may be seen with our very eyes, that you would bring many sons to glory and that we may see the evidence, the fruit of the ministering spirit. Lord, may you offer a hedge of protection, Lord, that we would not uh, preach anything that is false, Lord, and that we would not be hindered by the world, but that we would be uplifted by your word of truth. Lord, may we rest at the feet of Christ and at the foot of the cross. Lord, would you cause us to increase in love for one another and increase in love for you and for Christ. Lord, would you give us spiritual discernment as we leave this place today and give us a, a renewed spirit, Lord, that would cause us to preach the gospel in every season. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.